Chapter 11 of The Gray Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Gray Man by S. R. Crockett. Chapter 11. Sword and Spit. The house of Cassillis is not a great place for size to be so famous, but the Earl has many castles to which he goes oftentimes especially to the grand house of the new style which he is building at the inch and from which he means to assert his overlordship of the lairds of galloway which as i see it is likely to breed him trouble more than if he had stayed here at home and flareded his old gammer mistress into good humour so leaving his presence i went to see that dom nicholas had the best of food and bedding passing through the grooms and men-at-arms in the bravery of my damascus sword walking carelessly as though i wore such like every day a thing I liked well to do. I also made them change the straw for better, though indeed there was little to find fault with. But it is always best when one goes first into the stables of the great to speak loud, to cry, Here, sirrah, what means this? And then order fresh bedding to be brought, and that instantly. Thus I made myself respected, and so walked out while the grooms bowed, pulling the while at my moustache, and pressing upon the hilt of my sword, so that the point stood out at the proper angle, behind with my cloak a-droop over it, as I have said. Then on my way back to the house, I must needs pass, or so I made it appear, through the kitchens, where I found my tyrant Venus of the fiery face in the act of cooking the supper. Seeing me lean against the baking-board, dressed so cap a pie, she came and brushed me a place to sit upon, then she asked, would I be pleased to drink a cup of sack, rare and old? So seeing her set on it, I denied her not, but sat down, unbuckling my weapon for ease's sake, and throwing it down with clank of blade and jingle of buckle on the clear-scoured boards of the great deal table in the midst. The Lord forgive me for caring so mightily about these things, and so little for going to church. Some good day doubtless I shall change about, and in the meanwhile, what would you? Were you that chance to read never eighteen, and thought you not well of yourself, having a new sword? If not, the Lord pity you, it is little ye can. But all the while I longed to hear more of Sir Thomas Toad, and if it might be to see him. So I asked the lady of the pans where her husband was. She set her thumb over her shoulder, pointing to a narrow door as of an omnery or wall-press. He's in there, she said shortly. "'And what else is there in there?' said I, laughing, for what was I the wiser? "'Half a bullock is in there,' she said, laughing also. "'That is the meat-cupboard. It is fine and collar, and he is not troubled with flies upon his miserable bald head.' "'The meat-safe!' cried I, much astonished. "'And what does a reverend chaplain and a knight in the meat-safe?' "'The old dotard will not quit his maundering about the black vault of Denour to everyone that comes near.' He got hold of a silly chapman in the yard that came with fish from air, and I declare he must sit down and prate by the hour of the black vote of Denour. So I shut him up in the meat-safe. Faith, I will give him black vote of Denour ere I have done with him. The black vote of Cassillis and the company of the dinner-roast will set him better. And what says my lord to your using his chaplain so? The lady gazed at me a moment in a kind of wilderment. Then she broke into the vulgar speech of the country, which, because I learned to write English as those at the Queen's Court do, I have used but seldom in this chronicle, though of course not for lack of knowledge. Saying me, she said, this may be a queer uncanny world, but it is surely no come to that a yet, that a wife mana check and chastise her ain man. 
Good Lord, no, life wadna be worth leaving, see till this, she said. And taking a key from her pocket, she rapidly unlocked the door of the meat closet. Sir Thomas was discovered sitting most forlornly within, upon the corner of a great chest, with many pieces of meat depending from hooks about his head. His wife, reaching in from the step, took him by the top knot of hair as by a handle, and pulled him out upon the floor of the kitchen with one movement of her arm. "'It's a guide's mercy,' she said, "'that yince ye were a papish monk wi' a shaven crown, "'for the place that ye kip it bare say long has ripened late "'after all the lave o' the crap have been blown away with a wind.' "'I have been endeavouring to explain to myself "'the strangeness of the wisp upon Sir Thomas's head, "'but the words of his wife may clear the matter. "'It was but the retarded growth of his long fallow tonsure. "'And it's a dale o' a queer thing,' said Mistress Toad, "'that turning your coat outside in should turn your hair inside out. "'Heard ye never the mack o' that?' "'It was all owing to,' began Sir Thomas Toad, "'looking at his wife with a cringing shamefacedness "'that was most entertaining. "'Oh, I can,' interrupted his wife. "'It was owing to the black voted de nur ne doot. "'I declare I canna haud ye aff it. "'I jaloose that it man had been owing to the black voted de nur "'that Mary Greg a decent cookwoman and a deacon in her trade, took up with the likes o' you. That makes yourself nay better than a mountebank with your yammer yammering like a corncrake about black votes and roasted abbots. Fegs, I declare I could roast ye yourself. Ye are that muckle-thocked and care to me, but ye wadna pay for the trouble. Even the earl himself couldna make a profit oot o' you, and a folk kens that he wad drive a flea to London market for the sake o' the horns and hide. Weesht, weesht, honest woman, said Sir Thomas Toad. Wa kens wa may be listenin', maybe the countess her very sell. Faith and I carena, cried the brave cook, tossing her head. She is a backstairs body at Onigate, but she canna fear me, na brawly no. I ken o'er muckle, I ken things the earl doesna ken. Certes and serve him richt, a young man like him, but three and twenty, to marry his grandmother. Though good kens Mary Gregg is no the woman to speak, that married knock better than an old skeleton hung on strings, for nay sounder reason than that it is the custom for the cook in a decent big house to take up with a chaplain. The kitchen began to fill, and I bethought me that I should be going, for it was not seemly that a gentleman and a squire should collogue overly long with all the aura serving men and women in a great house. But before I could lift my sword and depart, there came in a dark, burly man with a sharp-cleft eagle's face on him, his eyes very close together, and a contemptuous sneer that was liker a snarl on his face. "'Good e'en to ye, John Dick,' said the cook. "'Mind ye keep the peace, ye old cat, for there are to be no callings hangings in my kitchen.' A voice called something querulously down the stairs. "'Coming the new, my lady,' cried Mrs. Toad, the cook of Cassillis. "'I am just pittin' in the pot.' And she vanished up the stair." As soon as she was gone, Sir Thomas appeared to wake up from a dream. He looked eagerly around him. She will no be back for a while, he said. I might have a chance. I maun tell you of the roasting of the abbot. Man, I saw it. I was there. I held him on the ribs of the grate. I set him on the brander and poured the oil on him that he might be roasted in sop. Oh, man, you think I am a fool. Ever since that day, never hae I been alone without seeing the face of him crying out for them to ding wingers into him, or blaw him up with power to ease him, the old earl grinning at him like a wildcat, and hunkering low to watch, with his hands on his knees. O oh, young men, never you put your hand to the torture of man, for it bides with you in the brain. Just as asleep or awake, night or day, 
I see the black vault of Donour. Good life, cried his wife, entering briskly at the moment. Is it possible that the old fool is at it again? The very devil's in the creature. He thinks that he was at the roastin' o' a man, when a' the roastin' he has done in his life has been turnin' the spit in this decent hoose o' Cassillis. Come away, ye doitered old loon. What did I tell ye the last time? Into the keepin' chamber with you. And she caught him by the top-lock to lead him away once more. But I pled for him, saying that I had never heard of his fantasy, and had indeed encouraged him to begin. The tall man, who had been called John Dick, the fellow of the hateful countenance, in whose eyes there was the insolence of challenge, at this point stalked up to the table on which my sword still lay. He took it in his hand with a contemptuous air, examined the Damascus work of fine gold, and was about to draw the blade from its sheath. That sword is mine, said I, scarcely looking at the fellow, and does not leave its scabbard save when I draw it. And then, quoth he, with a bitter sneer, I opine it will not do much damage. Tis but a bairn's plague at any rate, and in fit hands. It may be that you would like to try, sirrah, said I, slipping my hip off the table and buckling on my sword with one movement. Very willingly, said he of the sneer, come out to the green. But before I could move to end the matter, there arose from the corner, where he had been lying on an oaken settle, a tall slender lad of foreign aspect and distinction. He had on him a green suit like the royal hunting liveries. A long plain sword in a black leather scabbard swung by his side. Lancelot Kennedy of Kirioch, he said, bobbing to me, I am Robert Harburg, and though for the time being I serve here as little better than a cullion, I am yet of some blood and kindred. Therefore I shall do you no shame. And you, sir, said he, turning to John Dick, who stood lowering, being your equal here, I can serve your turn to cross swords with, and spare this gentleman the discomfort of defiling his sword of honour with such black ignoble blood as yours. And with that he whipped out a long straight sword which glittered in the firelight. John Dick turned up his lip wickedly, so that we saw his teeth, and the black curly fringe of hair about his face stood out, till his visage was like that of an angry ramping bull of Galloway. There were only men in the kitchen when the fracas arose, for Mistress Toad had gone to do some errand for the Countess. "'You are surely a stark man,' said John Dick, "'to mell or meddle with me. Can ye that I have wounded more men with my winger than I have fingers on my right hand?' "'And how many may that be?' said the young man, who had espoused my cause. "'Why for? said John Dick, surprised at the question. "'Then in a little while you shall have one less, and that is but three. Guard yourself!' and there in the red dusk of the kitchen they cleared themselves for fighting, and their blades met with so stern a clash that sparks were driven from the steel. But Harburg, my young and melancholy Dane, forced the fighting from the first, driving Dick before him round the narrow and enclosed place, countering and attacking with such dexterity and fury as I had never seen, though for years I myself had been a sound swordsman. But such fighting as this I saw not, no, not in the schools which the king has set up in Edinburgh to be used instead of golf and sick-like foolish games which the men of the east country love to play in their idle folly and wantonness. They had not gone far when my champion, using a snicking undercut I had never seen, severed the little finger of his opponent at the second joint just where it overlaid the hilt, so that the tip of it fell on the floor. Whereat Sir Thomas Toad lifted it and wrapped it with care in two sheets of clean scrivening paper which he took from his pocket. But John Dick, who after all was a man, though a crab-grained and ill-conditioned one, only called a halt for a moment, and wrapped his wounded finger in a napkin, drawing the cincture close with cord. 
and he was in the act of continuing the fight and pressing his adversary for revenge being resolved to kill him for the affront when with a loud outcry mistress toad rushed down the stairs she seized a huge spit and with the sharpened end so briskly attacked both the combatants battering them soundly about their heads that they were compelled to desist and it was most comical to see these fierce and confident fighters drop their swords points and shield their heads with their hands to ward off the blows of the stick varlets she screamed briskly i will learn you to fight in tulsi in my kitchen out with you she cried giving john dick the sharpened end of her weapon in his wham out with you for it was your dell's temper that began the fray and so having opened the door she fairly thrust him out into the night but she had not time to close it again before one whom none of us had seen came within the circle of red light he was a man of a dignified countenance dressed in black and he held a plain staff also of black in his hand on his head there was a broad hat with a cord about it upon his coat he wore no ornament save a broad black silk collar which lay upon his shoulders and over that again there fell another collar of fair soft linen very white and well dressed what means this tumult in the house of cassillis he asked speaking as one that has authority and has been accustomed to wield it unquestioned for many years now there was not a man there but longed to ask and who may you be that spears but none answered rudely for the awe that was upon them then at last robert harburg said to him but courteously sir you ask of the tumult it was a matter that concerns those only that fought upon their own proper quarrel it concerns neither you nor yet my lord cassillis in whose house ye presently are lead me to my lord he said as one who had only to speak that the doors might be opened but robert harburg withstood him and would not suffer him to pass let me see the earl of cassillis instantly said he the earl is at supper said robert harburg and cannot be disturbed i will eat with him said the stranger calmly then when some scullion laughed for of custom those who ate with the earl of cassillis entered not by the kitchen door the unknown made a gesture of extraordinary contempt and yet withal of a marvellous dignity go instantly he commanded pointing to the stair door with his finger and tell your master that robert bruce minister of edinburgh town would see him in the name of the lord and of his highness the king of scots and robert harburg who had just outfloated john dick the ruffler of camps bowed before him and as for me i took my bonnet off my own head and saluted for there was no one of us who had not heard of the famous and well-reputed minister to whom the king had committed the rule and governance of all the realm during the half-year he was in denmark busy marrying of his queen so with robert harburg leading and myself following the minister passed up the stair with due attendance and into the supper-chamber where the earl and countess took their meal at even mostly without speech each with the other and when through the open door i saw the earl welcome his guest as he would have done the king himself and especially when i heard their serious and weighty conversation the thought came to me that it was well that there were men in scotland able to make religion so to be honoured then again i laughed thinking of the mighty difference that there was between master robert bruce minister of edinburgh and sometime ruler of scotland and poor sir thomas toad domestic chaplain to the earl of cassillis and the well-pecked husband of mary greg his cook End of chapter 11